Am I switched? I am. Switched on. Will I put that one up on for me? There we go. Family, Paul and family life. Uh, we all have to admit at the start of this one that it can be a bit of a difficult topic to talk about. Uh, and there are reasons for that. We start off with the eight ball behind this one uh, because uh, different people see marriage in totally different ways in different cultures because there's been teaching in our Christian churches that sees marriage in a certain kind of form which if we, I think, look at it accurately we discover is not true. Uh, and we also run the risk of saying to those uh, who are not married, you're inferior, which you're not. Or we run the risk of saying for those whose marriages are a struggle or have been a struggle, even those who are divorced, that there are, that there are issues there when they're not, uh, except that, that those which you know about. So when we want to talk about marriage, we've got to calculate all those things in and say, let's understand that as the foundation point and know that we're not attempting to offend anybody, but trying to identify characteristics that are helpful to us all. The problem is that historical interpretations weigh quite heavily uh, on this. Uh, and I, re I remember, as a consequence of that kind of interpretation, I going, remember going to a wedding where uh, sitting opposite were uh, a husband and wife, and he had his friends on his left, and his wife had been obviously told not to talk to anybody, uh, while the reception was on, so Diane and I tried to talk to her and he frowned at her because he had told her she wasn't allowed to speak. Now, uh, that's the kind of interpretation that comes out of one form and it's, it's just very, very sad. But it also locks in to the way in which the church has treated women in the past. I don't want to carry on too much about that, but it's a, it's a um, hobby horse of mine that I need to reveal, probably. And when we read this stuff, is Paul a radical futurist? Or is he a misogynist consigning women to a doormat position? Wives, obey your husbands. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, says that women are not allowed to speak in church, too. Do they all join together and give us reason to treat women certain ways? Well, no. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, you've got to ask yourself, what did the author think he meant when he wrote that? Not, do we, not what do we see, because that's coming at 2,000 years later from our culture. We've got to say to ourselves, when Paul wrote that, what did he mean? That's the story of the woman who speaks out in church and Paul says, don't do that. You know, I, don't, I don't accept women speaking in church like that. Now, on a literal interpretation, in terms of the words that we see, uh, we say women are not now, therefore, allowed to preach, they're not allowed to speak, they're not allowed to do anything in church, because Paul said so. But let me say to you what I reckon happened. Paul's preaching away. We understand that all churches in the early days met in family homes, so it was the lounge room for somebody. And in the habit of those days, the women sat on the left and the men sat down on the right, or vice versa, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Paul's rambling on at the front, and uh, Priscilla over here has lost track of the teaching for a minute 
and Paul says something startling. So she says to Joseph over here in, in the men's department, what did he say? And Paul stops her immediately and says, I don't permit women to do that. If you want to know, ask him when you get home. Now, what is Paul on about? Is he on about giving to us a direction for the rest of eternity about the place of women? No, no. He's saying, when I'm speaking, don't shout out. This is a matter of good order in worship. It's all it is. But the literal interpretation has brought us to a point where we've diminished women from roles they might have had in church. And we have lost half our church in doing that. Now, fortunately, we're recognising that and things are moving. Now, that's my prejudice, all right? I've laid it out before you. You know how I feel about things. So we can go on. Why would Paul, and this is the other critical question, this whole book has been about the church. Everything we've done has been about teaching his church how to function. Why would we put marriage in a book focused on the church? Well, this is really important. Question, how does the life of Christ reveal itself in a Christian? We'll talk about that last question in just a moment. He reflects us in our character and he shows himself in our relationships. Those are the two ways in which Christ reveals himself in us. He deals with our character and he deals with our relationships. And on the basis of those, as he said in another place, by their fruit, you will know them. You will understand what a person is like, not by what they say so much, but what they do, what their character says. The Christian notion, therefore, of in Christ-likeness has to do with the way in which men and women relate to one another. The relationships in Western philosophy talk about individualism. It's all about me. I do what I want to do. It's about me fulfilling my life. And I will go in this direction if it fulfills me. And you will go in that direction if you find that fulfilling. And that's justification in our marriage, in, in our society for the way in which marriage should operate. What does Paul teach? He tends us, intend, God intends us to live in relationship. Now, sadly, in our world, that's not always the case. And there's pain and hurt and difficulty in that. And we work and we walk alongside those who are struggling through that so that the pain is minimised, as the church is what it's supposed to be, a decent body looking after the other people in the body. The rationale for having this text in Ephesians, and this is incredibly important, what we are at home is fundamental to what we are elsewhere. So the way we behave, and the, 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 the truth is that most of us reverse that. Most of us reverse that by being good people out in the public world. But when we get home, we tend to be without the uh, controls that we might have exercised in the world so we're seen as good. And sometimes we give our wives, sometimes we give our husbands a bit of what for because we're relaxed and, and, and we're less controlled. So that's important, but this is the important one. He's included marriage in this teaching on the church because what he wants us to understand is that marriage is a demonstration of Christ's relationship with the church. He wants the world to see how he intends to relate to us on the basis of how they see Christians' marriage working. Do you love your wife? Do you care for your wife? 
Do you put her on a doormat and walk over her? That is that how Christ loves the church? Well, he's attempting for us to say, this is sacred teaching. This is not just about marriage in, uh, in our world. This is about how God, Jesus Christ, relates as the head of the church to um, the church itself. What he does for the church, how he loves the church, how he behaves with the church. Our marriage is supposed to demonstrate that. That's what this is about, this text. That's why it's included in the church. And we need to say to ourselves, why is marriage under so much threat today? I heard a, a comment the other day that in Great Britain, 60% of people who are living together are not married. People are scared of marriage. They think that marriage itself is a controlling factor. It won't let me be an individual. I'm going to have to submit to my wife and I want to do what I want to do, not what she tells me to do. And so many, many people... And why would that be? What is the most effective method for Satan to destroy what God wants to do in relation to the world? It is, to, it is for him to challenge the most powerful message the church can send. That is to say, he can attempt to destroy marriages. He can attempt to say to people, your marriage is not important. Your individual individuality is the important thing. Can you see what's happening in our world? This is a satanic attack on the church and more importantly, a satanic attack on God's own ability to be able to say to people of our world, this is how the church relates. This is how I relate to the church. This is the love that I show. This is incredibly important. Principles for Paul in the study of marriage. Well, first of all, verse 21 is for me the foundation stone that we tend to miss out when we read from verse 22. Most people who offer arguments about marriage read from verse 22. Uh, women submit to your husband. But they don't read verse 21, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the foundation stone is, and I'll use Diane and me as an example, um, not in a bad way, but just simply say, Diane submits to me and I submit to her. That's the starting point. That's out of the previous verses of that chapter, Paul has been spelling out why we should submit to one another. Why in our relationship, in our marriage relationship, it starts off on the basis of that. In everything I submit to Diane, because my purpose in life is to serve her and help her to be the best person she can be. In, in, in Diane's purpose in life is to do this and to submit to me and, and, and help me to be the best person I can possibly be. That's the starting point. That's the foundation. That's what verse 21 says. So if you go on to verse 22 and then it says, wives obey your husbands, but wives submit to your husbands, what extra are you asking them to do? Nothing. Just continue your life in, uh, in reverence for Christ. Uh, marriage is a demonstration of Christ and his church. These are the principles that Paul now outlines in marriage, in relation to marriage. For wives, verse 22 to 24. Well, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. 
his body of which he is the saviour well that's nothing different to verse 22 uh, to verse 21 verse 21 is saying to them submit to one another so wives submit to your husbands what does that mean the husband is the head of the church is the head of the wife well it means that when the husband and the wife get together and talk about issues to do with the both of them and they agree that they're going to head in this direction whose responsibility it is it to make sure that that gets done the husband's his ability to be able to be uh, the head of the wife is not expressed in terms of his control of her or of his domination of her. Rather, it's expressed in the reality that he has the extra responsibility to hold the pair of them to the, to accountable to the stuff that they've agreed to do. He has given another purpose in his existence to be able to keep the family on track. That's his job doesn't mean he's got extra power in the process. It means he's got extra responsibility in the situation. Mutuality is a basis. We're in this together. Uh, one is no better than the other. Uh, we are equal in this. And on the equality basis, we begin to understand that in moving into the future, Diane tends to use her gifts... I tend to use my gifts and in me using my gifts she submits to me and in her using her gifts I submit to her and I in fact you know I said to her about this sermon I want you to read through these notes and tell me what you think and she feeds back into me and I feed back into her in other situations so we back each other up what does submit mean well, we have to be very, very careful of imposing present meanings of submission. What it means is working together, coming together, thinking about things together, working things through together, and on the basis of a, of a unity of relationship and working things through, I'm not talking about having to agree on everything, I'm saying on the basis of working things through, we submit to one another. In the role of being a servant in the family, we have a submission to one another on the basis of where their gifts are. I.e., I accept her leadership when she's using the gifts that she's good at, or gifts that God's given to her. And it, this is the church, isn't it? This is the church. Everybody has been given a gift, and where they have that gift, they give leadership to the church out of that gift. But it's exactly the same for a wife. She will give to me her leadership in her gift areas, that is absolutely wonderful. She has taught me how to look after children. She's a junior primary teacher. She has taught me how to love kids. She's taught me how to relate to my own kids. She's taught me a whole pile of stuff in that area. And I submit to her. Sweetheart, you go ahead and do whatever you want to do. You're better at that than I am. You need to do something. Go ahead, lead us. Take us on. And I'll play the, I'll play the back, back person. So submission means having acknowledged the gifts of one another, we let each other lead. Now, that's the same as the church. And having acknowledged that there are certain people who are ready for leadership in our church this afternoon, we're going to say to them, we want to appoint you to those positions and we will submit to you. We will take leadership from you. We'll put ourselves in a position of listening to what you're saying and understanding that in the responsibilities you see you have, then we will follow you. Exactly the same in marriage. 
does not mean that those leaders have any right whatever to lord it over the people in the church. They are servants to the church, but they are leaders, servant leaders in the church. And it's the same in marriage. Diane is a servant leader for me. So that what we see, I think, is the absence of inferiority in the relationship. We see God's order in roles, in what we do and what we, etc. No doormats here. Not at all. That's a wicked interpretation. Equals with roles and positions. We have certain gifts. Make sure you use those gifts really well and really effectively. Uh, spiritual gifts, Christ given, etc. Is that all? Is that all coming across? This is this is the process for wives. Uh, be who you are, ladies in church. Be who you are. I'm convinced that in this church there's a sense now of the equality of male and female, and I've watched as uh, as the, uh, the, the 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 voting that'll happen this afternoon sees men and women on the the eldership, sees men and women on the church council. There's men and, men and women leading worship up here. That you, you're at the stage where this is operating properly and it should be operating in our marriages in exactly the same way. That's for wives. Yours, husbands, yours is just as easy, isn't it? Let me read that to you. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ, just as Christ loved the church. <gasps> no, that means I have to go to the cross for my wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Here's the church stuff without stain or ring. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are, uh, for we are members of his body. For this reason, leave and cleave, this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Men, look at this fairly carefully, will you? First of all, love your wives. And the, the, in brackets there, if I put it there, just as Christ loved the church. Whatever Christ was prepared to do for the church, you are prepared to do for your wife. Whatever it takes. As Christ loved the church. Give yourself up for her. She is not there to block up or back up your purposes. She is there to be a loved and beautiful lady. And I'm talking about physical attraction. I'm talking about being the very evidence of the presence of Jesus in your life. You are to love her. Love your wife as you love yourself. There is no place for putting yourself first on the basis of equality. equality. There is only one place, not first and second. Treat your wife the same or even better than you treat yourself. So if you say to your wife, stay home and look after the kids, I'm going for a ride. Oh, I'm meeting with the mates on this uh, such and such a night and we're, we're going to have a booze up and watch a few films. 
You stay home and look after the kids. What you have to say to her is, look, I'm, I'm picking up with the mates. Uh, let's see if we can organise a time when you can go away with the girls and I'll look after the kids and you can do it with your friends. Let's have an equality about this. Or if, if she doesn't like doing that, that's okay. You say, well, honey, why don't we get somebody to look after the kids and I'll take you out to the pictures. Where we begin to understand that we treat each other and look after each other as precious, nearly said possessions, not possessions, as precious people of, of, of Jesus in our hearts and our minds. How are you getting on? You, you close to this, men? Women have to uh, trust you and serve you. What you have to do is love your wives as she's loving you, as Christ loved the church. Ah, there's the sting. Give yourself up for her. She hasn't given herself up for you, so why should you give, up, give her up, yourself up for her? Because Jesus says, you want to be a good husband in the, in the family, obey me and listen to me. Do what I did. Serve your wife in everything. That's what he says. But then isn't she serving you? Yes. Are you serving her in everything? In everything? Uh, does uh, giving her the leadership when her, where her leadership strengths appear under God's gifting, uh, does, does your working with her as number two serve her? Yes, of course it does. When you send her off to university to get that degree because she's absolutely capable of doing that and you know that she should be ready to... Is that not you saying, sweetheart, I will, I will, I will serve you? I, you know, I've, I've met one of our Baptist pastors in South Australia. He's married to a woman who has a PhD. And before she got her PhD, he got a PhD. So they both got PhDs and the process was she worked for him to get his in history. Then when he go, went back to work, he worked or she went and finished off her PhD. And so the two of them are working together in tandem to look after each other, support each other so that eventually they get the qualifications they think they need to get. As Christ care for the church, care for your wife. I think I told you, uh, did I, about the professor in... Uh, the United States. I went to Columbia International University. Did I tell you about this? He, um, he, um, this is, I, I feel, I, this gets my heart. He was, he was the provost of the university, the head of the university. Uh, it's a Bible college basically, but training people in university and in, and in college. Um, and he was brilliant. His PhD had gone around the place. People absolutely loved it. And um, he, he was working in his office and he lived about a kilometre away, on, still on the church property, but down a gravel road that they'd, uh, they'd built a nice house for him to stay in. And uh, after a little while, his wife had been doing teaching on radio and everything, they discovered that she had Alzheimer's and she could not cope anymore with doing the things she did and eventually developed Alzheimer's uh, to the point where she was in real trouble. Problem was, she would walk from the house after he had left to go to work, she would walk from the house to his office because she didn't cope without being with him with bloodied feet because she'd walked on the gravel road. 
And the board said to him, look, we will look after her. We will provide you with somebody to look after her permanently. There'll be somebody in the house all the time. The board said, we will, we will provide a place in accommodation for her. We will look after her. We will care for her. We need you to be our provost. And the guy said, I need to resign. Why do you need to resign? We'll do everything we can to look after you. He said, when I got married, he said, I said to my wife, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I made that promise 50 years ago, and today is the day when I keep it. And he wrote a poem after that, Let Me Get Home Before Dark, which is just the most wonderful poem. I think I put it in the newsletter a while ago. Can you see what's going on? This is husband and wife stuff. Wife stuff. You will care for your wife to the end of her life. Husband and wife in relation to the wider family, just for a quick moment, leave and cleave. Uh, there are, unfortunately, some marriages where either of the spouse is still under the control of mum and dad. And as a result of being under the control of mum and dad, they get pressured as a couple to do things that they wouldn't normally do. The answer to mum and dad is, thank you very much for your uh, suggestions. You only have half the picture. You do not know what's going on between the two of us. Thank you for the information. We will now make our decision. But mum and dad must be left behind. There must be a new couple. There must be a leave and cleave process for both of them. And then out of that, the husband has a responsibility to make sure that they develop a new family unit. He has the responsibility as the leader of the team to make sure that that, that, that marriage does this and is not battered from either side by the opinions of those who've grown up thinking they're in control of their own kids. The model? Christ and the church. Now, we need to understand that this is sacred teaching. It's more than just observation from Paul about how marriage is supposed to be. We need to take seriously the fact that marriage is an earthly production of Jesus and the church. An earthly expression of Jesus in the church that the world might understand now we need to say to ourselves we know that that's not perfect in our world we know there's hurt and pain and what's the process in that the process in that is to come alongside those who are struggling with that and support and care for them in this place that's why I keep standing up and saying family family we are responsible for those for whose marriages are struggling or have finished. We don't let them go. Rather, we lift them up and say, we'll protect you, we'll care for you. Conclusion. You may be glad that I'm nearly finished. Mutuality reigns. We're mutual with one another. We sit together, we're different people, totally different people. Diane and I are on the opposite, opposite spectrum, sides of the spectrum. She's an, introvert, she's an extrovert and I'm an introvert, etc., 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 all the way along. Mutuality reigns. We come together, we hold hands and say, okay, team, what are we going to do? Serving one another reigns. That's my, that's my role in life. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and I'm a servant of the living God. When it comes to my marriage, I serve my wife. I serve my children. 
I don't know why, but out of that process have come kids who absolutely love their dad and would do anything for him. And as we're shifting and doing all sorts of stuff, they just come around and hover around and do and... You go out, Dad, we'll do this. We'll look after that. See, these are all about relationships. You know the main thing in our world? The main thing in our world is relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationships with our family and our relationship with our community. Relationship is the key idea. Where are the greatest demands and expectations of either father or mother or uh, husband and wife? Where are the greatest expectations? Men, men, you're the ones, you're the ones who are those who have to have all of the characteristics on your shoulders. But your wife works with you. This is as big a challenge in our culture as at any time before. Isn't it? You can see why. Individually push, individuality pushes itself upon us and we begin to believe them. And we are taken over by our culture. As Paul is saying to don't take, don't, don't, don't let your culture take over. Be who you are under Jesus. In fact, when the culture tries to take over, be who you are under Jesus so that the culture might see what's right. Let me pray. Our Father God, our marriages uh, do come under significant stress in our world, probably no more than any other time, but we have wanted to grasp the truth of what Paul is teaching us about being together, about respecting one another, about working alongside of one another, where neither of the partners controls the other, where both of the partners submit together offer together the gifts that they've got for the whole marriage. We thank you, Lord, that you have given to us that magnificent picture of the church as being the model of our marriage and our, mar and our marriage being the expression of you and the church. We bless you and we praise you. Amen. Amen.